0: You're entering Outer Brightness.
1: Hey Fireflies, this is the third part of a multi part episode on the LDS Church's Gospel Topics essay titled Becoming Like God. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, you may wish to go back and do so. In this final part, we're bringing you the final five parts of the essay What has been taught in the Church about divine nature since Joseph Smith? Does belief in exaltation make Latter day Saints polytheists? How do Latter day Saints envision exaltation? How important are teachings about exaltation to Latter day Saint beliefs overall? And the conclusion. We hope you enjoy.
0: Okay. Section is titled, What Has Been Taught in the Church About Divine Nature Since Joseph Smith? Since that sermon, in reference to the King, oh, sorry, it already says it. I'll start over. Since that sermon, known as the King Fall Discourse, the doctrine that humans can progress to exaltation and godliness has been taught within the church. Lorenzo Snow, the church's fifth president, coined a well-known couplet, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may be. Little has been revealed about the first half of this couplet, and consequently, little is taught. When asked about this topic, Church President Gordon B. Hinckley told a reporter in 1987, quote, that gets into some pretty deep theology that we don't know very much about, close quote. When asked asked about the belief in humans' divine potential, President Hinckley responded, quote, well, as God is, man may become. We believe in eternal progression, very strongly, close quote. Eliza R. Snow, a church leader and poet, rejoiced over the doctrine that we are, in a full and absolute sense, children of God. Quote, I had learned to call thee Father through thy spirit from on high, she wrote. But until the key of knowledge was restored, I knew not why, close quote. Latter-day Saints have also been moved by the knowledge that their divine parentage includes a heavenly mother as well as a heavenly father. Expressing that truth, Eliza Arsenault asked, in the heavens, are parents single? And answered with a resounding, no, truth eternal tells me I have a mother there. That knowledge plays an important role in Latter-day Saint As Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles wrote, our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. Humankind's divine nature and potential for exaltation have been repeatedly taught in general conference addresses, church magazines, and other church materials. When Latter-day Saint young women recite their theme, each affirms, I am a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and eternal destiny. Teaching on human beings, divine parentage, nature and potential features prominently in the family, a proclamation to the world, divine nature and exaltation are essential and beloved teachings in the church.
1: All right. So, um, I talked a little bit earlier uh, about uh, the placard that my uncle Carl got from my dad, and which hung in our house, and had the the first three verses of the great prologue uh, on it, and how I would sit and read it as a as a teenager, and um, really kind of puzzle over what it was saying about the logos compared with what I was uh, receiving as teachings about um, the nature of of God and humanity from from my. Uh, studies in, in the Latter-day Saint faith. And uh, I really struggled with with it because I could see that John 1 was teaching that Jesus was utterly unique uh, in his pre-existence. And yet, I was being taught at church that that was not the case, that in fact, uh, I myself and everyone else born into humanity was also uh, in the beginning with God in the way that John 1 says that the Logos was. Um, and as you noted earlier, Matthew, Latter-day Saints, they have to kind of sidestep around the conclusion that if if John 1 says that the Logos was in the beginning with God and was God, then you have to ask the question, okay, if if I was also in the beginning with God, why is it not also appropriate to say that I was God in the beginning? Latter-day Saints have to deal with that in their theology. Um, But it made me uncomfortable. That placard in my home as a teenager made me uncomfortable with that teaching of Latter-day Saint theology uh, to the point that before I was leaving on my mission, I was making a trip to Idaho, uh, where my mom is from, uh, with my parents. Uh, It was... Just the three of us in the car. I can't remember the the circumstances of why it was just the three of us in the car, um, but we were we were uh, on I fifteen uh, north of uh, the Brigham City uh, exit, uh, heading out towards Tremonton. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been up that far on I fifteen, uh, Matthew. But uh, you know, you have the mat- you have the mountains um, over by Brigham City, and you know the pass that goes over. Uh, from Brigh- Brigham city to, to Cache Valley, to Logan, uh, and Preston where my cousins are from. Uh, but those mountains are beautiful and the sky out there is just big. You know, that they, they talk about Montana, big sky, you, you get that up there in, in, uh, Northern Utah, Southern Idaho. And it's, it's just gorgeous. And, um, we were driving and I've, you know, I was soon to leave on my mission. Um, I was, uh, reading through, uh, the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, uh, that I had picked up, uh, at Deseret book. It was one of the books that I picked up to really try to understand my faith as I was getting ready, uh, to go out and preach, uh, Mormonism to the world. So, um, and I had that book with me and my dad asked me to read, uh, the King Follett sermon, which is in there and, uh, the sermon on sermon in the Grove, which is in there. And I remember reading. We're reading through. I was reading aloud in the car to my parents the the King Follett sermon, and my dad and I were having this conversation, deep conversation. What what does this all mean about the nature of humanity, the nature of God? And it was making my mom uncomfortable because <laughs> um, she was uh, she was uh, a very uh, she she didn't think uh, very. I, I don't want to sound derogatory towards my mother. She. It's not that she didn't uh, understand and and think about uh, Mormon theology. Um, she did. She was a temple worker. She was um, a genealogist who did uh, family history for lots of people so that they could get their family names ready to take through the temple. Um, she was somebody who who deeply understood LDS theology, um, but she was somebody who uh, didn't like the the controversial aspects of Mormon theology. And so it was making her uncomfortable. Uh, I was already uncomfortable with it. Um, and I really, um, in the early months of my mission, when I was in the MTC, I read through the King Follett sermon multiple times because I wanted to understand what it was saying about God. I wanted to reconcile it with what I understood from John one. And I really struggled through that. Um, and I got to the place, uh, in study where i i said to myself okay i don't fully understand what joseph smith was teaching here um i don't fully understand how it fits with john 1 and i don't fully understand how it fits with what even the book of mormon says about the nature of the atonement needing to be infinite and that only an infinite being could carry out an infinite atonement if jesus was once an, if once an intelligence like i was according to smith uh, and progressed, and God the Father even progressed from intelligence to mortal, to immortal, uh, exalted being, um, then that none of them, neither of them are infinite beings in the sense that I understood the Book of Mormon to be saying was necessary for the atonement. And um, I really wrestled with that. and But I got to the point where I was willing to say, okay, I don't understand this all. Maybe I will. I'm, I'm going to accept it as my theology, even if I don't understand it all right now. And I trust that I will later. Um, so this, this essay quotes from uh, Gordon B Hinckley, telling a reporter in 1997, which is exactly when I was on my mission. And he said, this gets into some pretty deep theology that we don't know very much about. Um, I was on my mission. I was in the third area of my mission. Uh, sorry, no, I was in the fourth area of my mission uh, in a city called Seged in Southern Hungary. And um, we were we were allowed to, uh, there, there was a video cassette of this interview that President Hinckley had given, I believe it was with Mike Wallace. I, I believe that's the interview that's quoted here. Um, and it was being passed around the mission for missionaries to watch because he was our president and our prophet and he was speaking to the press and it was important for us to see what he was saying. So we, it was our turn in SEGED uh, where I was the district leader to watch this video. Uh, it came down with some of the office elders and we, we took it over to the branch house where we had a VCR and a TV and we watched it. And I remember a sinking and sick feeling in my gut when I heard uh, President Hinckley say, that gets us into some pretty deep theology that we don't know much about because I had poured over uh, this book to understand what Joseph Smith was teaching and what he intended by the words that he used. Um, And I want to quote what he says uh, here, because I I don't think it's consistent with what elder or what president Hinckley says there. And I don't think it's consistent with what the essay says here. Um, Joseph Smith says as the father hath power in himself. So hath the son power in himself to lay down his life and take it again, so he has a body of his own. The son doeth what he s- hath seen the father do. Then the father hath some day laid down his life and taken it again. So he has a body of his own. Each one will be in his own body. And yet the sectarian world believe the body of the son is identical with the father's. So he's in some sense, he's making a critique of what he understood the Trinity to be here. Um which is not correct. He's, he's critiquing modalism. I know <laughs> Latter-day Saints are going to go no, the modalism charge, but it, it is what Joseph Smith was teaching there is he was, he was critiquing modalism, not, not the actual doctrine of the Trinity. Um, but he, he says, uh, that the father had a mortal probation. And he he says it not only there, but he says it in the sermon, in the Grove, and he says in the sermon in the Grove, that the father has a father and a grandfather and all the way back. So, um, when, when President Hinckley kind of said that this gets into some pretty deep theology that we don't really know much about, um, it hurt me because I had really tried to force myself to imbibe and believe this theology that Smith had taught, uh, contrary to what I understood John one to be saying. So I bring that up because um, the essay kind of does this too, what President Hinckley did. And, and President Hinckley at the next general conference uh, told people that you know they they need not worry that he un- doesn't understand uh, what Latter Day Saint doctrine is. Uh, he understands, and he kind of gave a wink and a nod, uh, and those in the in the audience kind of laughed, you know, as if it's as if it is uh, appropriate to uh, not be upfront with others you're speaking to about what your theology actually is when you're being asked about it, um, and it it really made me. That, that made me, it was one of the things that really made me begin, begin to question my faith, because um, if the prophet who was called to be the leader of the faith and uh, the one who was called to uh, receive revelation and, and, and teach true doctrine uh, was willing to go out and speak to a reporter and not be fully truthful about what we believe, um, what does that say about the teaching? does it imply that the teaching is problematic that the president and prophet of the church is not willing to stand boldly and proclaim it to the world. So anyway, just, uh, that's, that, that's kind of my thoughts in a nutshell on this section. What are your thoughts, Matthew?
0: Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a lot saying I kind of wondered why president Hinckley didn't say at least something about becoming God. It, it's like, he just pretty much just said, well, we, you know, we don't know much about that and just kind of like just brushed it off. You know, it's like, you could at least say something, you know, like, well, we believe that God is our father and that we can become like him. Like you could have at least said that, but he basically just said nothing. Right. <laughs> I don't think you really even wanted to just talk about it. So like, that's how I explained it when I was a missionary, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, at the MTC, when you have those practice lessons, they say, well, you know, the, the person you're talking to would also be LDS, but he would ask you, like, do you believe you can become gods? And I said, well, we become we become like God. And he's our father. So why not? You know, like, at least that's some, But Yeah, President Hinckley basically said, no, we don't know much about that. And that's it. Yeah, And I found that kind of a little bit bothersome also. But I, I know a lot of Latter-day Saints will, well, not a lot, but several we talked to in the groups. Uh, they will say things like, well, the King Fault discourse is not official doctrine. It's not canonized. So you don't have to believe it as a Latter-day Saint but it's just so fundamental to everything LDS do from the temple work to for themselves for the dead you know to understanding who god is and and how we're literally children of god and, and earlier in this essay we read quotes about how we can become like god in his fullness like like entirely like god in every way imaginable you know like have all the fullness of properties of god so it's like when you tie all this together how can you then also say well god has eternally been god and you know didn't become god like christians believe you know like it makes no sense like it the natural and like what Joseph Smith taught and the natural conclusion is that God must've been just like us, you know, mortal. And he progressed to Godhood and some will say, well, he was like Jesus, you know, Jesus was God. Right. And he became man. And but that's not what he's saying. Or, or, they, or they say that that quote from Smith is actually talking about Christ, that Christ, you know, became man. Um, and that you can look into heaven and see a man, Christ enthroned on the, on the throne. But that's not who he was talking about. I think it's pretty clear. He was talking about God, the father. So I think, it's really been de-emphasized in modern LDS theology just because they know it's problematic. And and now that, you know, Christians really bring up the Bible and they they see a lot of the problems there. And so they they kind of try to de-emphasize this whole idea of God, not always being God and things like that. So I don't know. It, It seems like the LDS church is shifting quite a lot, going away from what made it unique and different. And now it's going, trying to become more Christian, but, but when you do that, you also gut the LDS church of what makes it the LDS church. And it's like, okay, so are they just trying to become another Christian denomination now? I don't know. I don't know where the church is headed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really good thoughts. I I'm with you. I don't, I don't know where they're headed. Um, they do seem, uh, in some of their communications to want to just be seen, uh, as, as Christians, um, no different than, than anyone else. And I, and I, I want to I want to say to our Latter Day Saint listeners I I understand that sentiment from a very personal and real perspective. Uh, I married into a Southern Baptist family. My wife was a convert to uh, the LDS faith, and I you know left on my mission in 1997, which is the year that the the Southern Baptist Convention held their big meeting in Salt Lake, and they went door to door, and I I I went. Uh, on splits with the missionaries in Salt Lake city uh, in preparation for my mission. And I got to hear them talk about uh, how much it offended them that the Baptists would come to Salt Lake city and think that we're not Christians. Um, I get all of that from a real uh, identity perspective. I, I understand what it is to have an identity as a Latter-day Saint. I had that. And I understand what it is to feel uh, frustrated when you're told by evangelical Christians that you're not Christian. I I, I know what that feels like. Um, I wrote a, an email to my mother-in-law on Easter uh, the year that my wife and I married, uh, a month before we married, uh, to encourage her to see me as a Christian because uh, I knew that the Southern Baptists did not. And um you know tried to argue to her that we worship the same the same Jesus so I, I understand all of that from a from a an emotional and an identity perspective like I said um what I would encourage Latter day Saints to do though is is really take a look at what your theology is teaching. Um, it is critical uh, even the Book of Mormon teaches that it's critical that Jesus the Son of God be unique and be God to carry out the atonement uh, a man can't cannot die for another man's sins um god had to be on that cross and that's critical and so when a latter-day saint reaches as as brett did recently the the logical implication of what their theology is about human nature um in, in that it makes jesus not unique not the unique son of god um that's that's really problematic i I really just would wish latter-day saints to think that through um one other kind of thought related to this last section is it 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 brings up heavenly mother like that like that there's heavenly parents there's a heavenly father and there's a heavenly mother um i know just kind of peripherally because i see it on facebook um and i run in a lot of uh mormon related facebook groups uh, I know that there, you know, I, I, I know that like since Kate Kelly um, and the ordained women movement, uh, there have been others who have taken kind of up, taken up that charge, and, and uh, a lot of women uh, pushing for the latter, the LDS Church to recognize. Uh, the existence and of a heavenly mother more explicitly. And, and um, especially amongst, I see this among some of the younger generation, really, really pushing for that. Um, it's not something I really uh, follow too closely um, because um, I'm not really interested in it very much, but um, I do know that it's there. And I know that it's, there's like a vocal, uh, I don't even know if it's a minority. It seems like it's growing uh, a, a, a vocal uh, group within the church, even if it's not uh, cohesive, it's 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 a it's a movement within the LDS church to push for that. Um, and I it it I just wrote a note on, on this section of the essay, you know, where I asked myself the question: Is this why this essay is being de-emphasized? Is this why this essay is being uh, shuffled aside? Is it is it not so much the theology about human, humanity's uh, potential, but is it that that one line about about heavenly mother that is uh, problematic for those who are still in the LDS church uh, and the LDS church's authority over them. Uh, just a thought I had, uh, just something I wondered. So thoughts there, Matthew, before we go on.
0: Mm. Yeah, no good stuff. Um, I had a thought, but I lost it. So it's probably not important. <laughs> all
1: right. Um, all right. The sections from here are shorter, so we should be able to wrap up pretty quickly. Um Next section, does belief in exaltation make Latter-day Saints polytheists? For some observers, the doctrine that humans should strive for godliness may evoke images of ancient pantheons with competing deities. Such images are incompatible with Latter-day Saint doctrine. Latter-day Saints believe that God's children will always worship him. Our progression will never change his identity as our father and our God. Indeed, our exalted, eternal relationship with him will be part of the fullness of joy he desires for us. Latter-day Saints also believe strongly in the fundamental unity of the divine. They believe that God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, though distinct beings, are unified in purpose and doctrine. It is in this light that the Latter-day Saints understand Jesus' prayer for his disciples through the ages, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. If humans live out out of harmony with God's goodness— they cannot grow into God's glory. Joseph Smith taught that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only except upon the principles of righteousness. When humans abandon God's selfless purposes and standards, the heavens withdraw themselves and the spirit of the Lord is grieved. Pride is incompatible with progress. Disunity is impossible between exalted beings. Matthew, thoughts on this section?
0: Not a whole lot. Um, we already brought up the idea that they don't believe that we can be higher than God. They're always subject to God. I would recommend for, in terms of how, whether God is one in essence or in being, or whether he's one in purpose to go back to our episodes on the Trinity. We talk a lot more about that in depth. Um, but I think it doesn't really, it kind of brings up the, the charge of uh, polytheism and then kind of compares it to like ancient Greek and Roman mythology with pantheons with competing deities is what it says and says, well, that's not what we believe. I mean, that's silly, you know, like, so you can't call us polytheists, but I think, it doesn't really even address the the charge of polytheism. It just kind of says, well, I mean, we're not like those crazy Romans and Greeks, you know? So like, what's the big deal? And then it says that they're basically different gods united in purpose. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's polytheism. I mean, polytheism is just more than one God. So, I mean, are you denying polytheism? Are you admitting to it? it I don't know. It doesn't really give a clear answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good thought there. Uh, I agree with that. Um, So I kind of highlighted a couple of phrases, fundamental unity and disunity is impossible between exalted beings. Um, I want to ask why that would be the case Um, because the whole kind of crux of LDS theology is, uh, and specifically uh, LDS cosmology is free will, right? Uh, Jehovah stepped forward and presented the father's plan that Contra, calvinism man would have free will (laughs) and uh lucifer stepped forward and presented the calvinist plan which (laughs) entails no free will at least at least in that uh caricature version of it um and you know if that if that be the case uh then does free will cease to be a thing in the celestial kingdom Are, are those who are exalted do they cease to have free will uh if not, then there is at least the potential for disunity. Uh, I don't think it's possible to say that disunity is impossible among exalted beings. Thoughts on that, Matthew?
0: Yeah, I've gotten different answers about whether God has free will to do X, Y, or Z. I don't think I think they don't want to touch that with a ten foot pole, mostly, and I kind of don't blame them because yeah, they want they want God to be completely free, but at the same time, they know that's a problem if they could say that God could sin. You know or that God could lie or that God could say, I'm not God and contradict himself. Uh, yeah. I don't know about this, this whole disunity among exalted beings. I guess I could see it in the sense of like, you know, they LDSC conflict as sin, any kind of conflict. Uh, what is it? How's the Bible, the, the book of Mormon passage go? It's like, you know, the spirit of contention is the spirit of the devil basically. And so they probably see that as like, well, since God is free of sin, then there's no, there's no you know contention you know, so therefore, you know, they can't have any disunity amongst them. So maybe that's the kind of logical route they go down.
1: Okay. But um, yeah, maybe, Uh, but I mean, in in their cosmology, Lucifer stepped forward and rebelled. Right. Um, And Lucifer, according to their uh, cosmology was a son of the morning. Right. So not the firstborn spirit son as Jehovah was, but one of the first and one of the, most uh, well-regarded, maybe, I don't know what, what word to use, uh, until he fell, right? Until he rebelled against the plan of God. Um, and so <clears throat> if that be the case, uh, and Lucifer could do that there uh, because free will, what would stop an exalted being? What 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 is it about gaining a body that would stop an exalted being from rebelling? And so it, it, it just, there, there's a claim made here uh, like you were saying, you know, they, they compare it with the pantheon, the ancient Greek pantheons and say that that's ridiculous. Right. And then there's a claim made that 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 kind of thing is impossible, but there's no authoritative statement from LDS scripture cited there on that statement. This is why we think it's impossible because Joseph, you know, God revealed X, Y, Z to Joseph Smith about this. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, that's, that's my only note on that section.
0: I just wanted to briefly state to uh, the John 17 passage that they quote. Um, so here's a quote that they, that they write. It is in this light, the Latter-day Saints understand Jesus' prayer for his disciples through the ages. Um, and then they quote John 17, that they may all be one as our father are in me and I and thee that they also may be one in us close quote. So I don't really have a problem with the understanding that this, this is Jesus praying for his people to be unified in purpose and in will just as Christ and the father are united in will, you know, We don't believe that Jesus was praying for them to become one in essence, with the father, but just as, just as Latter-day Saints rebut the argument that God is spirit from John 4, 24, you know, they say, well, it doesn't say God is only spirit. Uh, well, I would say here that Jesus isn't saying that Jesus and the father aren't only united in will, you know? So,
1: yeah, that's great. A really good point there. I like it. Um, all right. So next section, uh, this one's yours. I think I read two in a row. I apologize.
0: Uh, I don't know if you did. I think I read the part about family proclamation to the world. I think I read that part. So I think, I think we're okay. Okay.
1: You're listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer Brightness, Outer Brightness, Outer Brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of
0: teeth here, except when Michael's angry. that is, hangry, that is, angry. that is. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects John 1, 9, which calls Jesus the true light which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own, it comes to us from without thus outer brightness. Our purpose is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in drawing us to his son. We have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, challenges, joys, and everything in between. We're glad you found us and we hope you'll stick around. How do Latter-day Saints envision exaltation? Since human conceptions of reality are necessarily limited in mortality, religions struggle to adequately articulate their visions of eternal glory. As the Apostle Paul wrote, quote, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, close quote. These limitations make it easy for images of salvation to become cartoonish when represented in popular culture. For example, scriptural, scriptural expressions of the deep peace and overwhelming joy of salvation are often reproduced in the well-known image of humans sitting on their own clouds and playing harps after death. Latter-day Saints' doctrine of exaltation is often similarly reduced in media to a cartoonish image of people receiving their own planets. A cloud and harp are hardly a satisfying image for eternal joy, although most Christians would agree that inspired music can be a tiny foretaste of the joy of eternal salvation. Likewise, while few Latter-day Saints would identify with caricatures of having their own planet, most would agree that the awe inspired by creation hints at our creative potential in the eternities. Latter-day Saints tend to imagine exaltation through the lens of the sacred, immortal experience. They see the seeds of Godhood in the joy of bearing and nurturing children and the intense love they feel for those children, in the impulse to reach out in compassionate service to others, in the moments they are caught off guard by the beauty and order of the universe, in the grounding feeling of making and keeping divine covenants. Church members imagine exaltation less through images of what they will get and more through the relationships that they have now and how those relationships might be purified and elevated. As the scriptures teach, quote, that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy, close quote. I think that's Doctrine and Covenants. Do you know what passage that's from? Uh,
1: what's the site on it? Which number?
0: Excuse me, uh, 51. its DNC
1: 130 verse 2. And that same sociality, which exists among us here will exist among us there. Only it will be coupled
0: with eternal glory,
1: which glory we do not now enjoy.
0: Right. So what do you think about this passage? Well, I mean about the, 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 the section, chi- the section. Yeah.
1: Um, so I made a couple of notes. Uh, one is I, I highlighted, you know, the the use of the word cartoonish and caricature. Um, and I agree. I want to say the Latter-day Saints. I agree that um, uh, cartoonish caricatures of One another's theologies is never appropriate and never uh, a good (laughs) approach to dialoguing with one another. Um, But uh, the statement that says, likewise, while few Latter-day Saints would identify with caricatures of having their own planet, most would agree that the awe inspired by creation hints at our creative potential in the eternities. Um, So on the one hand, they want to say, we don't like the cartoonish nature of the God makers. Uh, but eh, we agree with the underlying premise. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know Latter-day Saints don't like uh, when when Christians uh, come at them and be like, "Ah, oh, you believe you're going to be a god of your own planet." Um, but I, but I think I think ultimately that and and I and I think the essay recognizes this. Ultimately, that's that's the logical end of of Joseph Smith's teachings about creation or continuation of the seeds. What it me? What what that all means? The way Latter Day Saint leaders have handled that, uh, and 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 kind of um, tying that with the with procreation in this life. Um, so I know that all makes can make Latter Day Saints squeamish, but um, you know I, I think it is the the ultimate end of of what your theology teaches.
0: Yeah, good points. So I wanted to say too that yeah, when I when I ask LDS about this this whole idea about creation and you know the eternal the eternal round as the, as the book of Mormon kind of calls it. Um, I don't really bring up the idea of like, you're going to you're going to be like owning a whole planet because yeah, I think the, the, I think the article's right. And the LDS don't really focus so much on possessions in terms of the eternal inheritance. It's more about children and relationships continuing on. But so I kind of try to tap into that by asking them, okay, so if you believe that you'll have a similar, maybe not exact similar relationship to your spirit, spirit children that you have with God now, do you look forward to your children billions of children bowing down and worshiping and some will avoid it. Uh, you know, some don't really give a clear answer and some will say, yes, you know, they follow the plan of salvation, just like I follow the plan of salvation. Kind of. But I think that should be kind of strange to, to be wanting worship. I don't know. Like as humans, we're kind of narcissistic by nature. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen as, you know, special or whatever, but to, to make the jump to where you hope to become worshipped by your, Children is a strange thing, you know. At least it is to me. I don't know what do you think about that. Um.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point, especially in light of uh, you know, some of the criticism that I've seen Latter Day Saints levy uh, against us as Christians uh, when we present uh, God as creating. Um. You know, they'll often ask the question because they think Latter Day Saint theology has a ready answer for it, and that Christian theology does not. So they will ask, "Well, why did God create?" Ha, gotcha! <laughs> right? Why did Why did God even make you? Um, and they, you know, they think that they have this ready made answer because well, there were these intelligences, and as and as the you know essay quoted earlier, God saw Himself among these beings and said, "Well, I want to give them the the ability to pro- progress as I have." So that's that's the Latter Day Saint answer, um, and Latter Day Saints will will ask that question and then they'll. Uh, kind of pillory, any answer we give as, oh, God did that all for his glory. Really? That's a, that's a cocky and and presumptuous God, isn't it? You know, you've heard that, that kind of line of rhetoric that we get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So how is, how is that different than a God who has progressed to Godhood and creates eternal progeny for his glory, which is Joseph Smith's teaching mm. and that his glory grows, the more eternal progeny he has. How, how is that different? So a double-edged sword, I think there, uh, you know, I, sometimes I just like to point out the areas where um, even if, you know, if, if you're approaching theology uh, like Latter-day Saints like to do from a perspective of, Oh, what's better, what has the better answers, right? We We should, as I, Started with Doctor Cotrell's quote: Approach theology from the perspective of what has God said. Um, but a lot, but often Latter-day Saints like to to approach it from what what is what has the better answers, right? Um, so if you're going to approach theology from the perspective of which has the better answers, I like to sometimes point out those areas where I think it's a wash, right? Um, we may not be able to say uh, why God created, except that the Bible says He did it all for His glory. Right for for my own glory, have I done these things, uh, as the Bible teaches? Um, so if if you if you're a Latter Day Saint, and you're going to critique that. Understand that when when Christians take that position, they're taking it on the Word of God. They're not taking it from the perspective of my theology is better. Hmm. Um, they're taking it on the Word of God and what God has revealed about Himself. And so um, you know if you if you think you got a better answer, I think that's one where it's kind of a wash, but we're taking it on the word of God.
0: Yeah. I think, and I think it's also still valid to say that God does save his child. You know, he does save children. He does adopt, you know um, you know, humans into become his, his adopted children and redeems them and saves them and glorifies them because he's a loving God, because we do believe God is love. Mm-hmm. And so he does, he does allow us to partake of the divine nature as we've been talking about. And, and to become more like Christ out of his sense of lovingness and, and compassion and wanting to kind of share in, in, you know, in joy with others. So it's not like Christians are saying, well, we're going to be miserable in heaven on our hearts, you know, and, and like, you know, God's only doing this for his glory and we're just going to have to suck it up and just deal with that kind of thing. You know, like God does, he does share his, you know, he does share joy and, and happiness with us, but that's not the ultimate and highest goal. You know, the highest goal, you know, the most important goal for God is, is, to glorify himself, to make his, his, his glory known to all of his creation kind of a thing. So just wanted to point that out.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and one final thought on kind of continuing that, that line of thinking there is that, um, you know, the, the Christian theological position with regards to why did God create is that he didn't need to, he didn't need us. Right. Yeah. Um, he, uh, the, the, the Trinitarian God had within itself, uh, sociality as joseph smith would say (laughs) uh and love for the various persons of the trinity one for the other um perfect love um and so god did not lack god the lover did not lack a beloved um in the sense that he needed to create um but on on LDS theology if you if you take what this essay is saying about human potential to become like god create progeny like God, all of all of that logical, uh, all of those logical steps that this essay presents from LDS theology. Um, if I am if I am taking LDS theology as truth, I have to become exalted to have a continuation of the continuation of the seeds. I have to become exalted to become everything that God is, and therefore I have to do the ordinances that you were talking about earlier, including eternal marriage. And in Joseph Smith's day, that included uh, polygamous marriage—not um, just eternal marriage to one spouse. Um, so, there, in, in Latter-day Saint theology, uh, juxtaposed against uh, Christian theology, there there is actually a need uh, for God to have progeny to be uh, all that God is, right? Whereas, uh, for God on the Christian view, He did not need to create; there was no need. Uh, inherent there. So there, there's, there's a difference there. Um, one other thought I had here, I'm trying to get my mind back around to it. Um, mm, I might not get there. Uh, what was it, man? I don't want to sound cocky, but it was a good thought. <laughs> um, it's a stupor
0: of thought the spirits telling you not to say it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. I wanted to come back around to, you know, the whole, uh, theocentric versus anthropocentric, uh, Theology and where your starting point is: Are you starting with God, or are you starting with human and reasoning up uh, with human? Are you starting with humanity and reasoning up? Um, and also, what I said earlier with regards to Origin and the other church father, fathers and their historical context and how important that is to understanding uh, what they were writing, what they were writing against, uh, what they were supporting. Um, it's important also to take into account Joseph Smith's historical context um, when you're thinking about what his theology was, especially as you think about the development of his theology towards this becoming like God and the crowning revelation that he has on that is Doctrine and Covenants 132, which is the revelation on plural marriage. Um, So if you're going to take Joseph Smith as an actual human being who was thinking and living a real human life, um, he was in the midst of plural marriage from at least as early as Fanny Al- Alger, right? Which is an undocumented plural marriage of Joseph Smith. Um, Oliver Cowdery, his uh, counselor and, and uh, scribe for most of the translation of the Book of Mormon, called it an affair, um, said he caught them in the barn. Um, fanny alger was a, a young woman who lived and and was a, a servant in the in the smith household um, and we know that joseph smith married uh, many other uh wives some of them uh the wives of of men who were sent on missions uh orson Hyde uh, was sent on a mission and, and joseph smith proposed marriage uh, to Marinda hyde so um when you think about that context and what joseph smith teaches in Doctrine and Covenants 132 understand that all of this is, is support for all, everything that's presented in this essay is support for ultimately his theology of, uh, plural marriage. Um, and then, and, and I know Latter-day Saints don't, um, you know, I, I I'm not trying to get into the squeamish <laughs> areas of this, but I just wanted to make, make the point that it's important to think about the context of what was going on uh, with Joseph Smith when this theology really began to to develop in his in his teachings and in his writings. Thoughts on that, Matthew?
0: Yeah, I think it all. I agree with you. It's all intertwined. It all goes together. All
1: right. So that brings us to the next section. Uh, how important are teachings about exaltation to Latter-day Saints, uh, Latter-day Saint beliefs overall? Uh, The teaching that human beings have a divine nature and future shapes the way Latter-day Saints view fundamental doctrine. Perhaps most significantly belief in divine nature helps us more deeply appreciate the atonement of Jesus Christ. While many Christian theologians have expressed the magnitude of the Savior's atonement by emphasizing human depravity, Latter-day Saints understand the magnitude of the atonement of Christ in terms of the vast human potential it makes possible. Christ's atonement not only provides forgiveness from sin and victory over death. It also redeems imperfect relationships, heals the spiritual wounds that stifle growth and strengthens and enables individuals to develop the attributes of Christ. Latter-day Saints believe that it is only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that we can have a sure hope of eternal glory and that the power of his atonement is fully accessed only by faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end in following the instruction and example of Christ. Those who Thus, those who become like God and enter into a fullness of his glory are described as people who have been made perfect through Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. An awareness of human's divine potential also influences Latter-day Saints' understanding of gospel principles such as the importance of divine commandments, the role of temples, and the sanctity of individual moral agency. Belief that human beings are actually God's children also changes Latter-day Saints' behavior and attitudes. For example, even in societies where casual and premarital premarital sex are considered acceptable, Latter-day Saints retain a deep reverence for the God-given procreative and bonding powers of human sexual intimacy and remain committed to a higher standard in the use of those sacred powers." Studies suggest that Latter-day Saints place an exceptionally high priority on marriage and parenthood, a consequence in part of a strong belief in heavenly parents and a commitment to strive for that divinity. What are your thoughts on that section, Matthew?
0: A lot of what they said, uh, at least when I was old, yes, I would have agreed with, like, it makes a lot of sense. Since they believe that they're created in God, you know, they're, they're created as literal children of God and they have a spark of divinity in them, the seeds of Godhood. That eventually, if you hope to become a God, you've got to become what God is. So, you know, God is chaste. God is, you know, God is sinless. So that's what we were to strive toward. Um, but then as, as you're as you reading it again, it um, made me think, well, okay, but but Christians also believe that we're made in the image of God, not being literal physical image, but we're given certain faculties, intellectual, moral capacities and responsibilities that no other creation has. And because of that, we're, you know, we, we have analogically, we represent God in the world, you know, just by just humans and ourselves, even if we're not, you know, perfectly Christian, you know, we glorify God in the sense that when someone does something good or nice to you, that that's kind of like a a tiny glimpse of the goodness, the ultimate and infinite goodness of God. And so, because we're made in God's image, we can say all the same things because we're in God's image. We need to be chaste. We need to respect our bodies and the procreative powers we're given because we're made in the image of God, uh, we should respect each other. Um, we should, uh, you know, we place a, a high priority on marriage and parenthood, you know, so a lot of those same things apply to us, but we just don't connect it to becoming like, you know, becoming gods. We connect it to being made in God's image and, and wanting to love God and glorify God.
1: Yeah. Really good point. I, um, I, I made some notes that are to that effect. You said it much more, much better than I would have. Um, I, I was just noting the things that they, Uh, say, you know, that um, Christ's atonement not only provides forgiveness from sin and victory over death. So right there, they kind of seem to me to want to be saying, here's what Christians traditionally believe, that Christ's atonement provides forgiveness from sin and victory over death. Uh, But Latter-day Saint understanding helps us know that it also redeems perfect relationships, heals the spiritual wounds that stifle growth and strengthens and enables individuals to develop the attributes of Christ that, that somehow their, their view of um, exaltation and human potential and human nature as already divine makes the makes uh, LDS theology uh, uniquely able to speak to how the atonement does these other things. And I I just made the note like um, that they lay it out as if only, LDS believe that Christ's atonement redeems imperfect relationships and heals the spiritual wounds that stifle growth and strengthens and enables individuals to develop the attributes of Christ. That's just not true. Christians have believed that now for centuries. Uh, that's, that's the whole point is that uh, Christians do believe that through sanctification, if you want to call it, um, uh, what's the Eastern Orthodox term? Uh, Slipping my mind right now.
0: Theosis
1: or divinization. You want to call it theosis divinization. If you want to call it uh, uh, taking on the mind of Christ, as Paul would have put it, Uh, all of these things mean to Christians the same thing, right? That God through the Holy spirit is sanctifying us and making us more and more like Christ. um, So that ultimately we will take on uh, the uh, divine nature, right? Uh, Latter-day Saint theology says you have that divine nature inherently from the beginning. Um, So anyway, um, I would again argue that unless Christ is unique, his atonement does nothing. And the the biblical teaching is that Christ is utterly unique. And thank God he is.
0: Yeah. Amen. As you were were talking also, I was thinking about how, uh, oh man, I'm losing the thought again. I'm losing it. Uh, talking about theosis, denization, becoming like God. Oh yeah. So yeah, we, we might talk about different methods or instruments through which we become like Christ, you know, like Eastern Orthodox talk about the energies and operations of God, the energia. That's how, you know, and that's the uncreated energies of God. And that's, and that's how they can become partakers of the divine nature, but they're not partaking of God's divine essence because that's uniquely, you know, appropriate to God. They kind of describe it that way. And then in the West, we kind of more describe it as grace, you know, like we receive God's grace and that transforms us, you know, through the working of the Holy spirit. So it's like, we might have slightly different understandings as how this process all works. But yeah, I agree with you that, uh, you know, we're, we're being changed, transformed and become like Christ. And the atonement definitely is core to that.
1: All right. I didn't have any other notes on this section. So that brings us to the conclusion Finally. Three, three hours and <laughs> 20 minutes in, we're at the conclusion.
0: Yeah, I don't know how we thought we were going to get this and done in like an hour last weekend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we
0: ended up pushing it off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, conclusion. All human beings are children of loving heavenly parents and possess seeds of divinity within them. In his infinite love, God invites his children to cultivate their eternal potential by the grace of God through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of humans' eternal potential to become like their heavenly father is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ and inspires love, hope, and gratitude in the hearts of faithful Latter-day Saints.
1: All right. Um, all human beings are children of loving, loving heavenly parents and possess the seeds of divinity within them. Is that is that language, possess the seeds of divinity within them, is that language that you were familiar with as a Latter-day Saint? Or does that strike you as something, maybe a newer way to try to try to cast this teaching.
0: I don't know if I heard specifically seeds of divinity, but there is a talk by Spencer W. Kimball and he might've done it several times where he talks about having seeds of Godhood. So he did use that phraseology. And I think that might even be in like, you know, the the presence of the church, you know, the church teaching manual. It might've also said it in there. I vaguely have a memory of that, but yeah, so I did, I did hear seeds of Godhood. within us.
1: Um, Maybe a quick wrap. Uh, Just want to get your thoughts on. Uh, you know, cause one of the, one of the Bible passages they will often quote is, um, and if, and if heirs joint heirs with Christ and heirs of everything, right. So what, what is your thought on that? What are your thoughts on that passage? Uh, do you think it's teaching that Latter-day Saints, what, what Latter-day Saints understand that to be teaching that, that they will become, that we will become gods ourselves in the same way that, that God
0: is God. So Christ, a lot of times when it talks about Christ, it's speaking to him in his humanity, in a sense. And I, and so we have to understand it from that perspective. So when it says that we are co-heirs with Christ, mm-hmm. um, so Christ is the God-man. So he's both God and man. And so uh, he, he, is, he basically is the king of king and lord of lords of all creation you know, as the God-man. He's the exalted man. So there is no man that's greater than he in creation. And so when it says that we will be co-heirs with him, it doesn't mean that we'll become gods. It means that we, when we are in glory as resurrected, you know, glorified uh, children of God, we will also inherit all of God's creation. You know, we'll partake in it. We'll be able to explore all of God's creation and his goodness. And, and in our bodies, we'll be able to experience it as, as he desired us to experience it from the beginning. And so in that sense, we'll inherit it. It doesn't mean that we'll inherit all of who God is and His divine nature and attributes.
1: Yeah, very good. All right. Um, so we began the episode tonight uh, talking about how uh, this essay has seemingly been de-emphasized um, on the LDS Church's own website, where the link to this epi- this essay is now redirecting to a different Gospel Topics essay uh, titled "Are Mormons Christian." Um, We've talked a lot about the theology. We've talked a lot about how Matthew and I both understand uh, emotionally, uh, theologically, what it is to be a Latter-day Saint and have uh, Christians uh, maybe make fun of your theology and uh, make it cartoonish. Uh, We hope we haven't done that tonight. We hope we've tried to, we've tried to quote from uh, relevant sources, uh, including Joseph Smith. Um, But we you know, we ultimately got to the place where we also talked about president hinckley de-emphasizing these doctrines um, and how that impacted us um, and I have to ask the question why are these doctrines why did why did hinkley de-emphasize it um, why is the the gospel topics essay now being redirected to a different uh, link uh, for you not to read uh, this particular gospel topics essay um, and, I, and I just cite uh, and, and refer to Romans one sixteen. 16, um, the gospel is based wholly on the unique son of God, Jesus Christ, uh, taking on flesh, uh, to die for our sins, uh, so that we can be forgiven and we can become like him. Um, and he has to be utterly unique. Uh, Joseph Smith, before his theology began to transform, and we talked about the, the context in which it, it did transform, uh. In the Book of Mormon taught that uh, Jesus had to be infinite. It had to be an infinite atonement wrought by an infinite being. Um, And then later his theology uh, presents a non, a finite being becoming infinite. So um, I would just cite Romans 116. uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of.
0: That's great. Amen. Thank you for sharing. We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc., You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel. And if you like it, be sure to lay hands on that subscribe button and confirm it. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word.
1: You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well.
0: Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Stay bright, flyerflies.
2: Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are.